What is going on with speckled trout in the upper Texas coast? Specifically, what's going on in Galveston Bay? Folks, welcome to the Coastal Advocacy Adventures podcast. In this episode, we sit down with Captain Steve Hillman to talk about his observations of what is happening in the Galveston Bay system. If you've been following the message boards, Facebook groups, and other online chatter, you know that there have been a lot of conversations being had about speckled trout populations in the Galveston Bay system. Captain Hillman lays it all out for us from his perspective. We talk about the problems facing Galveston Bay and some of the potential, dare I say, controversial solutions. We sort of just jump into this conversation without any introductions. So turn up the volume, tune in. Here we go, folks. I hope you enjoy this episode with Captain Steve Hillman. All right, so you graduated college, mm-hmm. went to work for Allchem for two to three years, mm-hmm. and then came back home. And then came back to uh, the seafood business, took over the marketing program, and uh, we were doing a fair amount of business at that time, and we had brokers all over the country, and uh, I started traveling, and, and we came up with a couple of new seafood products uh, unrelated to oysters. We brought in scallops from Peru, white clams from uh, Vietnam, farm-raised clams from Virginia. We developed, I think, in the neighborhood of 14 or 15 different products. We hired new brokers. We got in more distributors, the U.S., Canada, Puerto Rico. We grew the business. Uh, We grew it quite a bit. And, you know, business was thriving back then. Uh, We're talking about the late 90s, early 2000s. And then... I guess the the downturn, would, would, at least what I remember in the oyster industry. Now, we did all of these other products. We processed and, and bought and sold other products, but oysters were still our primary uh, source of revenue, I would say, in the neighborhood of 80% of our gross revenue at that time. And so I guess it was around 2005 was, was Katrina. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. And... Most of our oysters back then were coming from Louisiana. Matter of fact, if I remember correctly, it was in the neighborhood of 80%. And that was kind of the first time we had ever experienced, at least in my memory, uh, uh, an issue where we couldn't get the resource that we needed to support our sales and our production. And, you know, to make a long story short, over the course of the next uh no it was 2003 i'm sorry it wasn't 2005 was it rita or katrina rita and katrina were the same same so, year was it 2003 i think i thought it was oh five i'm trying i was in virginia at the time okay. and i remember yeah that was oh five at any rate it was uh to me that was the first significant downturn that we experienced as far as being able to get our hands on the oysters we needed to process to get out to our distributors you know, across the country. And over the course of of the next couple of years, we had other issues uh, with, you know, diminishing resource in different areas that we we couldn't get our hands on the product we needed. And it was 2004. 2004 is when I got my captain's license and started running trips. And over the course of the next year or so, it evolved into a full-time gig for me. And in all honesty, and I hate to say this, I could see the writing on the wall uh, even back then with where the industry was headed. 
you know it just it didn't seem it to me it did not seem sustainable uh and i'm not talking about due necessarily to commercial harvesting but natural causes a lot of issues uh and then of course fast forward through 2009 and you know you had hurricane ike and silting over over 50 percent of the oyster beds which Mm -hmm. is well documented and then that followed by and i was i was a full-fledged you know full-time guide by then still helping out you'd asked me how long my involvement was in the business i was still helping out a lot i worked out of a home office uh helped out with whatever they needed um you know some marketing things uh permitting things like that just whatever you know whatever they needed but while at the same time running my trips and then we went into a four or five year drought uh which you're well aware of that 2010 ish through yeah, 15 through 2014 to. or leading up to the floods of 2015 mm-hmm. and that was you know we had issues with dermo with oyster drills uh you know all the predation issues with with what remaining live oyster reefs yeah. that Ike had left us and man here we go another nail in the coffin you know and then of course uh, then come the floods of 2015 2016 and oysters cannot withstand that kind of fresh water for a prolonged period of time and you know if it drops below less you know i think it's two parts per thousand or less for more than a, a week and a half two weeks mm-hmm. an oyster will close up it'll stop feeding it'll stop fil- filtering and it just dies in its shell and we saw a lot of that obviously uh now it wasn't as widespread as as what we're experiencing from the floods from harvey now but anyway at that point uh it was uh it was getting pretty bad you know and and um I'd already kind of phased out of of the business in as far as a a, a full time job, you know. And then of course dad sold the company last year and you know, the year he sold it things were looking up. Uh we had you know, we had normal salinities for the first time in seven years basically. We had a good spat set because yeah. the floods had killed so so many of the so much of the uh of the predation that it really looked like it was rebounding. And um, then, of course, this happened, what, almost a month ago now, mm-hmm. three, three and a half weeks ago. And I don't know where this is going to – where we're going to end up uh, with, with the floods. Uh, you know, I was in West Bay yesterday with customers, and one of my customers, got he got hung up quite a bit, and, and uh, I walked up to grab his rod to, to get it unhung for him, and, and I, I said, screw it, I'm just going to break it. And I used 30 pound braid on a spinner, you know, and I pulled it and it didn't break. And I pulled up a big cluster of oysters, of live oysters. Now, there were two, two and a half inchers. Yeah. You know, those oysters are probably, I don't know, 14, 15 months old. Uh, so I know that there's, there's, at least nine, there's at least nine live oysters <laughs> yeah. in them. <laughs> you know, I was at the, the Gallison Bay Foundation's meeting, membership meeting last night, and Lance was there. Okay. And he gave a presentation on oysters, and industry representatives were there as well. But Lance said he kind of ended the presentation trying to end it on a positive note, and he showed a slide from um, back, and this was from Dr. Sammy Ray's data, mm-hmm. but after Hurricane, I think it was Hurricane um, Claudette, 
which would have been in the 70s. They had 40, 79. 40 yeah. inches of rain in the Galveston Bay watershed. Mm-hmm. And two years later, they had record-breaking spat sets. That's right. So hopefully... Well... Yeah, and I if hear the industry can survive for two years. Hopefully, yeah. Be, well, so. and I hear you, and and I agree. We've seen it before, where freshwater killed the predators, and 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 the oysters came back within two years. It's usually two to three years. The difference is now, and I'm you know I'm not trying to to sound doom and gloom at all. Back then, we had roughly twenty four thousand acres of reef. We yeah. had more than twice as much substrate as we had prior to har- to the floods Ike. from well Ike is the reason that we lost roughly 12,000 acres of live reef so we've we've lost half of our habitat and then yes all the floods will kill you know the dermo and whatnot and the oysters will come back you know assuming there are no other natural disasters you know there's, all, there's always a lot of variables with everything we talk about with oysters with trout with everything uh, they'll come back within two to three years. The difference now compared to years past prior to Ike is we have half the habitat. Half the substrate. Half right? the substrate. For all intents and purposes, oysters don't grow on top of mud. You never heard the Galveston Bay Foundation say mud is the lifeblood of our bay. Right. You know, it's oysters is yeah. the lifeblood of our bay. Yeah. So there are some concerns there. Again, not to sound, you know, negative, but these are, you know, oh, be realistic. Just being, just I mean, being it's, realistic is it's, all, you know. So this brings us to where we are now, and there's been a lot of talk this year, uh, even you know before the floods. Uh, uh, there's, I know a lot of guides here that are supporting a reduction in the trout limit that four or five years ago would have never thought about it, and and the reason is because of what we, we've experienced here. In, in the last, well, we talked about it, the four or five years of drought, we had stack-ups in the back of Trinity Bay, the back of East Bay, and those trout, they got obliterated. You know, it, was, it wasn't as eccentric as the the stack the freshwater-induced stack-ups in 2015 and 2016, but they were stack-ups nonetheless, and everyone took full advantage of them, myself included. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm running trips, and, of course, we're going to go to where the fish are, you know. But like in any in any industry, you have some who abuse it. Uh, but bottom line is there were a lot of – there were age classes of fish removed from our system during those four or five drought years. And then here comes 2015, and we get all the spring rains, and the trout stack up in two or three locations in Galveston Bay – uh, mainly on, on reefs. Well, in all honesty, mainly on some of the, the newer reefs, the river rock that, that Texas Parks and Wildlife had planted where there were new oyster, there was new oyster growth. Uh, one of such areas is, you know, roughly 60 acres. And it was nothing to see 60 to 80, 90 boats on there a day. And I'm talking about wow. even on a weekday. It was that good. I mean, I know guys that would make – three drifts across there, catch 30 trout and go in, you know, and look, that's, that's a guy's job, right? Yeah. I mean, you could, you could easily say we're commercial oyster fish or we're commercial oyster fishermen, commercial, commercial fishermen. When, when you're going out harvesting 30 and 40 trout with your customers in a situation like that, it reminds me a lot of what's happened in the oyster industry 
this year, especially because there were a lot of areas that were either close to harvest or the oysters were below the 65% threshold. They were too small to mm-hmm. harvest. Well, these guys had to make a living and they went to certain areas. Now, I don't agree with some of the things that happened. Christmas Bay, for instance, should have never been open. You know, right. of course, it's as of what, August 25th, it's closed. Yeah. Along with what, five or six other five others. bays, which is all good. I, I agree with all of that. But I compare it to, it, it reminds me a lot of what I've seen in the trout fishery in the last seven years. And of course, 2016, more floods. Same thing. You know, you couldn't go just anywhere to catch trout. People like to catch trout. Some folks have to make a living catching trout. Word gets out within a week or two. Here come the masses. And, you know, you can't tell me it doesn't take a toll. So with that seven years, I, I call it seven years. I say five five years of drought and two years of floods. Uh, in that seven-year period, I don't know how many trout were removed from the system, but it was a bunch. Would that be a big deal normally? Eh, maybe not. We would we would probably recover. It would take two or three years, I guess. But when you lose half of your habitat, your primary habitat, I mean, we all know that there are other types of habitat. You know, we've we to a limited extent here in Galveston Bay, mainly West Bay, Christmas Bastrop. We do have some some bottom grass, some seagrass. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's not our primary habitat. It does support you know, a, a food base. Uh, and then, of course, marsh grass, Spartina, you know, we have plenty no, but of that. for Galveston, it's the reefs. It, it's, it, for Galveston, it's, it's the reefs. And there have been plenty of, well, there have been several studies done on I think Greg Stunts has, has been involved in some of that research in the past, pretty much ranking oyster reefs number one. I mean, I have them in my office. I don't remember all the numbers. But uh, I think it was his study. I know he referenced it at least. Oyster reefs were ranked number one as far as habitat, you know, the uh, basically the, the, the base of the food chain uh, with microorganisms, you know, the support of, of aquatic life. Yeah. And then number two, I believe, was Spartina, and number three was seagrass, I think. I think seagrass is second, but it doesn't okay, matter. Seagrass, oyster, okay. reefs, oyster reefs are so far they're not. They're almost on a different order of magnitude. Exactly. It was like ten times yeah. what seagrass was, or something like yeah. that. Or, yeah. You know. So, you know, and everybody wants to talk about the, you know, the trout. We well, the trout will come back. You know, and and look in their defense, uh, a lot of folks don't pay attention to what's really going on in their in the estuary in which they fish. You know. It's tunnel vision. Exactly. Yeah. You know, well, we went out, we caught some trout today. We, you know, we had 25 trout. You know, that's good. We, we we whacked them. You know, it's it's good stuff. These trout are coming back. Well, you had one good day. You fished one spot for six hours. I can remember, and I'm not that old. You know, I'm in my late 40s. But I can remember going out to reefs that you can't catch a fish on anymore and catching 25 trout in 30 minutes for years and years and years. Now, look, we had our dips. I mean, you know, everything kind of runs in cycles. I'm very aware of cycles. You know, you have flood years, you have off years, trout fishing, uh, you have freezes. We've been through a lot, you know, over the course of time, and we always rebound. But the one common denominator throughout all of that before Ike was we still had our substrate. We still had our substrate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
it sounds to me i've talked about it so much it's in you know it keeps replaying in my head it's like a broken record but it's fact you can't make this stuff up you know you have to have the base of your food chain not saying trout fishing won't be good again it will it'll be fine will it ever be like it was in years past i don't know if i don't know if i can answer that question i don't know if it, it can so what do you do you you've lost half your habitat you just got flooded you know unprecedented level you know at unprecedented levels that the country's never seen before you know and you have almost almost i think it's 900,000 more uh Texas saltwater anglers than you had in 2006 basically going back 10, 10 years, years 11 yeah. years yeah you've got uh roughly 4 or 500 more guides i've got all these numbers but i know those are you know around those are round numbers uh you know got, how many of those are in the upper coast by chance and you know it's and lance said it himself the other day you know galveston bay gets more fishing pressure because of its close proximity to houston mm-hmm. you know and i don't know how many we have here but uh i know i have a list of over a hundred of them I have a list of, of those, and there, and I hear of new ones every day. Now, look, no one's saying you can't go get your captain's like This is not about how many people can guide and how many people can't and who has the right to this and who has the right to that. What it is about is finding a common ground and agreeing that we all care about sustainability of our bay. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're catching trout for a living, if you're just – you know, you and some buddies going out fishing when you can. If you're a, a an oyster harvester, we're all stakeholders. And if you're, you know, you have to care about where your bay's headed. You you can't just look at it for what it is today. You know, like the guy who came in with 25 trout. Hey, man, we've got plenty of trout. I know because I caught them today. <laughs> you can't view it that way. You have to look down the road. I mean, my little girl loves to fish. She's 15 years old. I don't want her to – I want her to, to be able to have something to look forward to, you know. So that's – in a nutshell, that's kind of where I think we're at. So so let's walk through some of the potential um, things that, that Parks and Wildlife or, or the industry, us, we can do to rectify the situation. You can, you can change bag limits. Mm-hmm. You can change – you can change slot sizes parks and wildlife um have talked in the past i mean maybe not parks and wildlife but there's been talks in the past about moratoriums on guides the number mm-hmm. of guides mm-hmm. um there's certainly there's certainly a lot the state can do with regards to habitat and 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 uh, offering to offer yeah. and continue to and, and offer like the oyster industry for chan- uh, for example offer them opportunities to develop their industry mm-hmm. through private lease programs and expand mm-hmm. the habitat that could affect trout. So where do you stand at least on those first two with changing bag limits and or slot sizes that for speckled trout? Right. Bag limits, I, th- I personally think it would be dumb, and I'm just going to be blunt, not to, not to decrease the limit to five at this point, you know. Given everything I just said, and, and look, it's not rocket science. This is, you can Google anything I just said and find out for yourself. You know, 
it's I'm not a biologist. I do have, you know, my education was in environmental management. My degree was, and I did have to take a lot of marine biology classes, but spending all the time in the oyster industry, all the time I have fishing, seeing the changes that have taken course over time, you know, some of them natural, naturally induced changes, you know, environmental changes, you know, subsidence, erosion, droughts, floods, some man-induced, you know, as well. And here we are and knowing what we have to work with and, and knowing what's been done in the last six or seven years as far as, in my mind, the obliteration of, of, of our trout population. And I know you can't kill them all with a rod and reel. I hear that constantly, you know, from certain people. You can't kill them all with a rod and reel. No, you can't. You can't kill them all. But you can damn sure put a good dent in them. And all of that being said, I think a five trout limit, it at least for a period of time to see if we're going to come out of this it, or, or how we're going to come out of this, you know. And, uh, you know, maybe put some kind of anniversary date on it or something. I don't know. I know that's what they did on the mid coast. Exactly. 2019. Exactly. Sunset. Yeah. Sunset. That's the, that's the word I was looking for. But, but yeah, I definitely see a need for that as far as slot limits, you know, and I've written about this in some of my articles, it gets back to what do you want to manage for? Do you want to manage for the biomass? You want to manage for numbers? Or do you want to try to catch more big trout? And, of course, the answer to that is both. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, you can micromanage things, too. Uh, We don't want to get ourselves in a situation where we're asking the government to do everything for us. Yeah. well, but you want to rely we, on biologists to we make do. those biological decisions. We want to rely on science, and we want to rely on our own observations. I think that's tends to go overlooked. Uh, and Lance and I talked about it the other day. Uh, you know, there needs to be more involvement with those of us who are out there almost every day, and what we see. You know, we're fishing the entire. Let's take Galveston Bay for instance. For the most part, we're fishing the entire Galveston Bay complex over a 12-month period. So we get to see the patterns. We get to see, you know, where we catch them now, where we can't catch them anymore, you know, how this reef is not what it used to be. You know, it's, it's either dead or it's, it's you know, silted over. Uh, we get to see a lot of things that, you know, the average weekend angler, they don't get yeah. to see. Yeah. So I think um, I think that our opinions should, should play a role uh, – not unlike in the oyster industry, you know, I, I went to, I was part of a lot of the advisory, mm-hmm. uh, the meetings and oyster advisory meetings and, and whatnot. And it was always a, a, you know, parks and wildlife would, would ask our opinions and, and then we would put our opinions with the science and we'd come up with, with solutions that were good for both at the time, at the time. Mm-hmm. Look, there are things that happen that are out of our control, obviously, this flood yeah uh but as far as a slot limit getting back to that you know i've thought about it and uh i'm not opposed to it i don't i'll tell you i don't like the fact that that each angler is allowed to keep one trout 25 inches or larger per day i don't i don't see a need for that 
I don't see. I, I've thought, you know, maybe along the lines of a, of a trophy tag, tag, like the redfish, yeah. you know, something along along those lines, you know. So I'm kind of on the fence on that one right now, but I'm I'm leaning towards a slot limit. But again, let's let's take one step at a time. You know, I know what the the five trout limit has done for different parts of the coast. I mean, the coastal bend area, we know where they were mm-hmm. before the five trout limit. They were struggling. They were catching a bunch of pencils, kind of like what we do now. Yeah. Uh, and then Matagorda. I mean, I, I fished Matagorda this year from January through March because I, I could I could not fish down there. It was, <laughs> it was too good, you know. And the quality of fish, on average, was better than than what we caught here. Uh, now, look, that wasn't all because of the five trout limit, because in all honesty, the five you trout limit. got good range down there, too. That's right. The five right. trout limit hadn't had time to really, yeah. you couldn't see the results of that in a year. You know what I mean? But it helps. Down the road, it helps. But, yeah, a lot of the, the uh, natural occurring things, they had timely rain, you know, uh, things like that that, that helped. But that's where I'm at on, on those two issues. So, um, before I forget, I wanted to bring up the uh, the issue of in the upper coast. It seems like, and I know it. And actually, it's not just the upper coast. It happens all up and down the coast. But you, maybe there's some guides that want to make a name for themselves, or maybe there's some guys that are just really hungry and they're trying to make it a, a living. But you know, taking two, three. I know a lot of guys take two trips, but multiple trips. What effect do you think that that has? And where do you? What are your opinions on taking multiple trips mm-hmm. in a day? You know, I don't. Uh, I don't like it. I don't agree with it. it. I'll be honest with you. It doesn't go on that much up here. There are a couple. There are a couple. Uh, now I think there are some guides that run multiple trips in this base system that aren't necessarily targeting trout. Uh, you know, maybe some of your you know, jetty type fishermen mm-hmm. things, but you know, this is all supposition on my part. I don't, I don't know for a fact that they are. I'm just saying it to me, that's somewhat irrelevant. If they're going out catching, uh, you know, puppy drum or sheep headers, you know what I mean? Right. From a, but from a trout standpoint, I know of a handful here that do it when the, you know, the summertime bite on a particular bait is very good. Uh, <laughs> but I hear, we talk about that too. <laughs> I, I hear down south, uh, you know, and again, this is all hearsay. I, I'm not, I don't I don't live in the lower Laguna, obviously. Some days I wish I did, <laughs> uh, but I hear of them doing it down there quite a bit. Yeah, and I don't think it should be legal. Um, to put it bluntly, you know, if you can't get if you can't show your customers a, a good time in, in one trip in one day, then you know, if we get to the point where we're running our customers through like cattle drop them off the dock. Okay, guys, jump on the boat. Time for y'all's trip. You know, to me, that's not what this thing's about. That's where I have a problem with it. It's, My guys want the whole experience. Right. I yes, want to learn you, something. You, yeah, you have to catch fish, obviously. Well, you want to catch fish. You, Your desire yeah. is to catch them. And you don't have to kill a limit. My guys have done a great job last couple of years, and I, most of my, my folks are regulars, of keeping only what they want, you know. And that's what I was going to get to earlier with the, you know, we don't – necessarily always want government intervention you know with setting every all of our limits for us at some point we have to be self-regulated enough and have enough common sense to see the writing on the wall and know where we're headed you know know where we're headed uh 
but anyway, getting back to that, you know, it's about going out there, you know, let's go catch a few trout. Let's catch some on top water. Let's work up shallow. Let's drift some slicks. Okay, guys, you want to go catch some reds now? Maybe a flat, you know, mix it up a little bit. It's about the, the day. They're paying you. They, they have, they're spending their hard-earned money for you to take them and show them an entertaining day on the water. Yeah. And, and I like to mix it up and do different things, you know, and to just load them up and go whack a limit and, an hour if you could do that, you know, and come back and pick up another crew. I just don't – I wouldn't want to spend my hard-earned money doing that, you know, but uh, to each his own, I guess. But as far as the, the multiple trips, I don't I don't agree with it, you know. I mean, I guess there, there are times when your customers – you have customers that get canceled due to weather or say uh, you look at the situation we're in now where – Hell, I've lost almost three weeks of trips because of this flood, yeah. because of the flood. Uh, you know what is today? I don't even know what today is. Today's Wednesday, the September twentieth. Twentieth, yeah, yes. September twentieth. Yes. Uh, my last, other than yesterday, my last paid trip before yesterday was August twenty fourth. The it's day before, it's a month. So. You know, I, I went out on my own a couple of times to look around. But, I, you know, we're busy helping friends and family. You know, everybody suffered and everybody pulled together. It was pretty amazing to see what we saw. Uh, it was very, very uplifting. But at any rate, so getting back to the multiple trip thing. So I lost a month of trips, basically. If I was really in a bind, I might be uh, inclined to say, you know, if I had some half-day trips, call some of my customers that uh, that I lost during that time and say, hey, guys, I can take you in the afternoon, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. I haven't done it. Uh, but I could see a situation right. where if it were a law, you cannot run more than one trip. It could It could put someone in a tough spot. Yeah, It's like everything else. There are certain – any industry, there are certain guides there, you know, pick an industry. There's always someone in an industry that, that doesn't do it the right way that makes something become an issue that should not be an issue. And I don't even know that if it even has any real effects on the, I don't, on the I stock. Don't, it just I, I don't it bothers think, me for some reason I, it, because a guy's not doing <laughs> what I think his job should be. Yeah, and a lot of that, you know, is personal preference, I yeah. guess. And I'm with you. I agree with you. Uh, but – it's just something that I don't think it goes on a ton. I, like I said, I know of a couple here yeah. that, that do it. You know, again, you might want to talk to some of the folks down south. I think they, there <laughs> might be a little bit bigger issue with it down there. But my my primary concern is, you know, the number of fish that that we have and uh, or the lack thereof, and and everything that's occurred over the last. You might as well say over the last decade, mm-hmm. roughly, you know, and and sustainability sustainability moving forward, you know, we all know the reasons that we had a a, a more difficult year catching trout this year, you know, we know that. I mean, it's been it's been hammered in everybody's brains, but I'm more concerned about all the habitat issues, the additional fishing pressure, everything that, that caused the, the I don't want to call it a trout shortage. It's not a shortage. Look, everybody caught some fish this year. You know, it wasn't 
it just wasn't what it should be, and the size was not there. But I'm more concerned going forward, you know, what we're going to do moving forward. And I think a five-trout limit would be a, a, a step in the right direction for sure. So you think the industry is is ready to make that move as far as the guide business in general? More than – up here? Up here. I guarantee Ga- you. Just Galveston. I guarantee I you more Sabine. than 75%. More than 75% up here. I know guides that four or five years ago would have laughed at you, and now they're in support of it. The um, Parks and Wildlife will do their fall. They just started their fall gill nets. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be interesting to mm-hmm. see what those – because usually the fall gill nets show they they're 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 a little bit lighter than the spring gill nets because of summer fishing pressure, mm-hmm. but for Galveston this year, you you can't say that a lot of that loss here recently, not loss, but the, the numbers that they're showing up in their gill nets are going to be lighter because the fish aren't there. You would sure think so. Um, so it'd be neat to see that that data and and show the decline that 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 you're seeing mm-hmm. because of all the, the you know the fresh water over these past few right. years more right. more recently because of harvey so we were talking outside you feel as though those fish have a lot of the fish have moved out of the system to seek out higher salinities you know we t- we talked about it the other day uh that i don't know how they couldn't i mean the salinity in the the bay was was near zero in most areas other than some patches around campbell's and then of course west bay uh, but initially, the entire bay was pretty much fresh. And those, you know, trout, once you drop below 10 parts per thousand, a, a trout is headed the other direction. Not to say it couldn't survive in eight or nine, because we've, we've caught fish and stuff that I couldn't believe we caught fish in. Yeah. Matter of fact, a couple of days ago we did. Of course, it's, you know, down below. It's, you know, well, who you, knows what the... Upper Sabine so, Lake is Yeah, and I think And I think these some of these fish can tolerate a little bit, depending on what part of the bay they they were in but yeah for the most part i think uh i think we had a major flush of trout that went out through the passes uh, we're seeing a lot of fish come or i say a lot we're seeing fish come back in now um we are catching just a ton of juvenile trout what i call nursery trout uh and i'm talking nursery trout 10 inches eight, inches. eight nine, okay <laughs> 10 inches you know yeah. we'd we'd even be in a bind if we're in louisiana catching give, give them another year <laughs> uh, but you know and we caught a lot uh, i guess yesterday we had quite a few fish that were just under 15 inches you know just under a couple they're like 15 15 eighth we didn't we didn't keep um you know so and the, all those fish they got flushed out of the marshes and the bows you know yeah along with the uh, you know substantial amount of white shrimp that got flushed out prematurely which you know i've been concerned about what kind of fall white shrimp crop we're Mm going to have because of this but then i heard of some shrimp boats that actually have have in recent days caught some 16 18s in the bay some some big white shrimp so you know i think a lot of that stuff comes in that freshwater yeah it's following the wedge coming back in and each day i think with the tides and of course based on what the wind direction wind speed is um that wedge is is inching its way northward each day, you know, and uh, it's it's you know it'll get right. The salinity will get right again. There, obviously, it will. It's, you know, it always does. Uh, I just don't know what uh, what normal is going to be. You know, what's what's normal? I mean, uh, is normal going out and catching twenty five, thirty trout? That's that wasn't normal before the floods. You know. 
uh, and, you know, we talked about the stack-ups in 2015 and 2016. Well, those stack-ups were in May through July when our bays were full of trout during the – because, you know, they were schooled up. Those are mm-hmm. schooling periods. September, you know, and I don't know this word gets tossed around a bunch, September is a transitional month for us going from summer to fall where our trout typically start spreading out you know, leading into fall before they get in a true fall pattern and start moving, moving towards the river mouths and, you know, where all the forage species are and the bio drains and, and all of that. So this flood came at a a time when fishing is kind of tough historically anyway. Now that being said, we actually had a really good week leading up to the 25th, you know, but that was one or two little patches of fish. You couldn't go anywhere and catch them, you know, and you can talk to anybody that fishes all the time. It's pretty much the same deal you know, we're all experienced, and we all kind of made our rotations. We had our same three or four little areas that, that we fished and uh, and made it work, you know, for our customers. Um, so, do you, do you personally have a client base that's, you know, diverse enough to where you can go out? So that, you know, it's difficult to catch trout, so we're going to go out flounder run. We're going to go hammer some flounder. We're going to go out and seek out some reds. Or you, you have that in your – In all honesty, no. It's all, I, it's I all would, trout. Trout Mostly. and reds, to, reds to a lesser extent, but mainly trout, you know. Uh, I would say my customer base is pretty much, if you were to, to look at a, a Texas Parks and Wildlife graph of the three most popular species. <laughs> Reflective of that. That's yeah. my customer base. Yeah. You know, trout, reds, and flounder in that order, you know. And I don't know what kind of reaction I would get if I took <laughs> Sorry, guys. flounder fishing. <laughs> you know, I love to catch and eat flounder, but I have I have run flounder trips for not a long time, but uh, – you know we're going to do what we have to do, and we're going to do it, we're going to do it responsibly. Uh, but again, I'm not worried about me. I'm not worried about how many fish we caught yesterday, how many fish we're going to catch tomorrow. I'm worried about how many fish are going to be available to everyone in the next five to ten years. Do you have any and ideas? That needs to be our focus. Do you have any opinion. ideas of what else the state can do or what we can do? CCA, you know, is who I'm with, mm-hmm. or you know, the guide industry, uh, which you're you're a member of. What can we do to help create more habitat, or or um, at least uh, pressure the state to do that? Well, I think there's a lot being done on that front. Uh, I think uh, in the last ten years. We've, the state, Texas Parks and Wildlife, you know, as you know, Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, Coastal Fisheries, they're, they're basically a collection vessel for the funds, and then they try to get matching funds. And, mm-hmm. and these funds come from various sources. Some of it's deep, we're still getting some deep water horizon money. Uh, some of it's mitigation money. I, there was a CO2 pipeline that went through the bay, I think, in 2009, 2010, that destroyed some reef and it's a one-to-one mitigation so you know they cl- they collect that money and then the oyster industry they pay a uh, an additional fee for every sack yeah, that, that shell tax the shell tax uh so all of that goes into the hopper and then the state tries to get matching funds and i think in the last 10 years parks and wildlife is is planted in the neighborhood and i'd have to get verification on these numbers but i know i'm, I'm close around 1200 acres of reef um most of that using river rock, two to four inch river rock, which is we found is the best substrate. Uh, and then you know there there are other things that you can use, crushed limestone, uh, you know, cults, uh, oyster shell, and and those are things that are being done annually. Um, 
do I think we could do more? I would love to do more because if you do the math on it, if you lost, you know, simple math, if you lost 12,000 acres and you're doing 100 acres a year, yeah, you know, 120 years, I don't, I mean, I don't, <laughs> well, here's I don't, where I don't believe in reincarnation, but I don't think we'll ever get to see that, you know. Here's where I'm going with it is that, the, with the with the oyster industry specifically, is we, the state can, and I don't we we hate this word, but it's we could privatize the resource, or at least privatize the, the bay bottom. Mm-hmm. So identify, and the state's done this. They know areas where maybe there's not public reefs currently, mm-hmm. but it's it's habitat, it's it's water conditions that would support oyster reefs. Mm-hmm. So establish a program where it incentivizes the oyster industry to have their own expansion of the private lease that they have now but in areas where there's not currently oyster reefs and they go in plant the cults take care of that crop in a sustainable manner and we have new reefs to support the oyster industry and you're creating habitat and i wish that there would be a more progressive push for that something of that nature to happen because louisiana is almost all private leases for the oyster industry galveston bay has 2300 2400 acres i think mm-hmm. of private of private leases that parks and wildlife leases out um and that just wouldn't be galveston bay but it could be the entire texas coast mostly galveston but there could be a substantial amount in matagorda bay mm-hmm. as well um but the, you know there's it's going to it takes a ton of cash to do any sort of habitat but isn't that what we're doing now it what you just said isn't what's different about what what the state's doing now compared to what you just mentioned well the states everything that's done now is on public oyster reefs okay like as far as the management okay. of, of so the you're industry. saying in closed waters then or, or no 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 or so just, or just making it off completely off limits to you you have the you, have, you no you have the public oyster reef okay. system uh-huh. which is that's where most of the oyster industry participates in there's right. quite a bit that have their own private leases mm-hmm. so the private leases are very successful in Louisiana and here in Texas to a, a degree. We just don't have that many of them. But okay. there's other areas in Galveston Bay and in Matagorda Bay that could support oyster reefs. There's just not any there right now. Are you, so you're so saying the addition of private leases? Addition of private gotcha. leases okay. for the industry gotcha. because they they can do things a lot quicker and probably much more efficient than the mm-hmm. state could mm-hmm. to plant river rock, plant cultures in these areas, and that's – their yeah, I private think that's, no, I, I, reefs for them to harvest from, but it also has all these other benefits of having oysters. Yeah, in the if water. you're talking about creating reef, you know where there is no reef. Yes, I, I would have no problem with that. Now to take public reef and make it private, I, I kind of would have an issue. But you're not talking. No, about no, that. this is this is they areas that would support a reef, but there's not one gotcha. there right now. Gotcha. Okay, I understand. And and that that concept has been tossed around, and it got shot down a year or two ago and i think it's going to come back up but we before it comes back up in front of the parks and wildlife commission um, i'm hoping we can garner support from that across the fishing community whether you're a fishing guide recreational angler commercial fisherman whatever is you know I, i think that i think it's time for our state to do something more not only for the oyster industry but also for our our fisheries because yeah. the oysters do support so much no, it's not just trout. It's all the benthic organisms and vertebrates. That's right. And it's it's critical to our base system. So if we can move to that, I think that will have some pretty 
pretty big impact. you say it was shot down, shot down through the legislature? No, this was Parks and Wildlife Commission. Okay. Uh, It it was, maybe this was just last year, but they wanted to expand the lease program. And I I think it had some things in it that weren't very attractive to the commercial oystermen. I got you. Number one being that the lease program is set up right now on 15-year terms, which Mm -hmm. is in statute. So that would have to be legislative to change that. Okay. But no one's going to want to go dump in millions of dollars if after 15 years they're going to have to give that back up to the state. Right. I think there needs to be some sort of assurance that they could get right of first refusal or the lease term is just longer. Sure. So it's worth their investment. Understandable. Right. I, I think that was the one of the biggest hiccups in the in the whole deal, and 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 there wasn't any support for it when it was presented to the commissions, and the oyster industry didn't like it, so the idea was tabled. It's going to come back up again, hopefully. And as I was saying, as Parks and Wildlife lays it out, we, we, uh, I think we all need to be a part of that process mm-hmm. and them laying it out and understand what they're trying to do, but, and have some input on the front end. So we have something that's presented at the commission that everyone can, can agree to, and we can move forward. No, and I, I agree. I, I just, you know, getting back to the, we're all stakeholders mentality. We are, and I, I and when I say everyone, everyone has to make a living. The ones that are blessed enough to be able to use a public resource to make a living myself included we have to work with the powers that be parks and wildlife and whomever else it may be maybe glo Mm -hmm. corps of engineers you know oyster dealers we all have to come together and and, uh and with ideas that are beneficial to all of us because you know we all have to to uh manage our resource together it, if if we don't then it's we're not going to end up in a very pretty situation here in the next uh in the near future yeah. next three four five years but no i like the idea of of uh of putting a more uh private leases you know i i haven't i haven't heard that but of course i'm not all well, that, it, all that <laughs> involved in it anymore you know like i was so and the other one of the other things they did and you know this one is the 30 percent shell going back into the water from the oyster right you know, the cult the, yeah that's gonna if it's put in the right place and did that pass that passed. Did, okay yeah okay i wasn't sure about that yeah I, and if they don't then it's they, going they, to be tricky if they don't then they pay, pay right an okay. amount equivalent to that Right, whatever that thirty percent is, and yeah. some of the, you know some of the changes that have taken place recently, uh, the the three hundred foot buffer, I think that's really good. And then of course we talked about the closures of some of the satellite bays or the tertiary yeah. bays. Yeah. Um, you know, limit reduction. It, I think it went from to, from forty to thirty. Right. Uh, all those are positive changes. And a lot of those po- a lot of those changes, I think, were were agreed upon, or even the ideas of coming from. The, uh, some of the dealers working with Parks and Wildlife mm-hmm. to come up with some of those solutions. And, and the reason I bring that up, it gets me back to the trout thing where I would love to see where, you know, the the guides, at least the full-time guides or hell, the part-time, whomever, the, the fishermen, the anglers that are in the, the base systems, you know, in that area can work with, you know, bounce ideas off of Parks and Wildlife, you know, and – and uh, not have to go through, you know, legislative, <laughs> formal legislative process to get something done. Yeah. Because Parks and Wildlife does have the power to do a lot of things, you know, by proclamation. They don't have to go through, you don't have to go through the legislative process to get get some of these things done. 
you know, you look at the freeze when, when we have uh, hard freezes and water temperature hits a certain uh, degree, they close down certain areas, you know? Yeah, yeah. So they have yeah. that power. They have that ability once it's put in place. Right, you know? right. And yeah, there has to be that. Um, the Carter Smith, the executive director, would have to issue that executive order. He used to not have that power, um, but they, they do now. Yeah. That's, that's critical. It is. And, you know, we see it in, in, in the winter during freezes, but we don't see it during events like this. That's right. It makes you wonder, or what's during, the difference? During the stack-up situations right. that the we've difference? already beaten the ground. Yeah. You know? Exactly. And we, we mentioned that, you know, we're on Mickey's show the other day and, and Lance was there and dad was there and, and uh, that, that issue actually came up, you know, I want to listen to that and yeah, you need to go back and listen to I'll, it. So uh, it turned out real well. I'll reference it when I post this up, I'll yeah. put a hyperlink to that one as well. Cause but, I wanna... you know, it, there's a, there's some other things, you know, we, it's not just the state that's doing all the, the, the river rock planning and the limestone planning. There have been a lot of individuals, and a lot through the Gauss Bay Foundation, through the years, they plant their own private little reefs. Uh, the mayor of Texas City, Matt Doyle, mm-hmm. uh, he took some funding from the, uh, you know, the, the they charge a, a fee to get on the Texas City right. dike. Have you, are you familiar with this? I'm not. I just know. I, I think it was roughly two hundred thousand dollars and devoted from those fees to plant, uh, cult, to plant limestone for for oyster reef restoration. So, you know. You put it all together, there's there's some good things being done every year. Problem is it needs to be like five times more. <laughs> yeah. You know, that money has to come from somewhere. And I yeah. wouldn't be opposed to an additional fee on top of a fishing license or something like that. You know. What about what about there's uh, people talk about uh, guides, fishing guides make their living off the resource, they should have to pay an extra fee or something. What do you do you have any thoughts on that? I wouldn't have a problem with it. I mean, there's, you know, I mean, re- within, within reason, reason yeah, right, yeah, right. we have to, we have to, uh, to qualify that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's you know, and and then of course to make sure that that money got put in the proper place, right? right. You know, so but that's what's tricky with at least with state funding is that uh, a lot of times it gets put in general pools and it doesn't end up where you intended it to end right. up. You know, and, and two, we have to make sure that we have the right substrate to use. You know, I've heard that there's a shortage of, of river rock right now. Shortage street. of oyster shell river rock. Yeah. They were talking about using porcelain. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there's not much. In limestone, I mean, it's calcium carbonate, you know, with the acidification issues we have at times. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's better than nothing, obviously. But uh, like I said, there's 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 variable. Every single thing we're talking about, there's there's five or six other variables attached to it you know it would be nice to sit here with a, a nice cut and dry bullet list we, yeah, we're gonna we do this let's it. get this <laughs> yeah. done let's get this okay we're done you know let's live happily ever after but it doesn't work that way you know and just when you think you have it all figured out mother nature mother throws you a curveball reminds again. you you're not so, in control that's right you know it's like i've always said mother nature controls this fishery we just have an effect on it we don't control it Right. But we do have to be smart to react to some of the negative impacts uh, when the time comes, you know. And and sometimes, you know, obviously we're not proactive enough. But then again, you can't foresee some of the things that have happened either. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that outside. Is how do we, you know, Parks and Wildlife gets criticized all the time for being reactive, way too reactive. You don't get ahead, of, don't jump ahead of the issues. But 
It's it's difficult to do when you're relying on the data and having to respond on the data, and, right. and you need consecutive years of data to help support a decision. That's exactly so you're, right. Inherently, you're reactive. It's difficult to to be proactive, but when you see, as we mentioned, years of drought and then years of flood, and knowing of the effects that that has on a fishery, I think you could justify doing some. Well, things. I think it gets back to what I said earlier about leaning maybe a little bit more on the user groups on pe- people like ourselves who are out there every day, you know, have us fill out a report, yeah. send us a survey. Have, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but you know, ask us, we'll tell you, we'll tell you what's going on out there. You know, I mean, we see it every day. And, and that to me would speed up the process. I would think maybe it won't, I don't know, but you know, we have to have our science. There's no doubt yeah. about that. And Texas parks and wildlife coastal fisheries have been a, excellent program for years and years and years they've done a fantastic job but to me it, it's got to be a, a a multifaceted deal where you it's not just the science i mean again i don't well the, the creel portion is a part of that puzzle but i i think what i hear you're saying is though. that it's, it's, creel surveys are that way it's too not, there's too many back to our different variables not to interrupt you yeah. but you know if i you know if the creel survey Folks are sitting there, and it's, it's blowing 35, you know, and they're at a ramp. They're not going to get good data. You know, I know that they have in their algorithms and everything, they have all their adjustments for, you know, errors. But I understand that's, to me, that's more of a numbers thing, you know. I mean, I know they have the rating. They asked you, how would you rate it? Yeah. But, uh, I mean, that's good information. I'm just saying, I think it, it could be more weighted in favor of guides. If guides were you. more participating in that, whether that be at the boat ramp or through a mailer or survey sure. or whatever, I just, that, yeah, you it, would take that input, but weighted a little bit, maybe more heavy than. Yeah, it needs to be more, just more dialogue between us and, and the powers that be. Back to the stakeholder I, group, I, like you yeah, mentioned. I think so. I, I saw it in the oyster industry for years and it worked, Yeah, you know. I mean, a lot of these proposals, Parks and Wildlife proposes, case in point, the ones that just uh, went through on the 25th of August, a lot of those came from the industry themselves because they sat down and they talked about things. They looked at the data. They talked about their own personal experiences. They talked about here's where we think we're going to be next year or five years from now. Here's what we think we need to do. You know, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, we will – well, I think we'll have an interesting. Uh, this conversation is not going away. I mean, it's <laughs> no. going to get it's going to get interesting this fall as as you know some of the data starts coming in on the Gilnet survey. I can't do it now, but I'll maybe I'll show you in a second mm-hmm. um, some of the more recent data that I've seen uh, for the Upper Coast, or I can send it to yeah, you. Yeah, I think I have everything through the spring as far as the the, the gillnets. Okay, this is the same thing. Then. Okay, yeah, this is the same thing. Yeah, but, nothing uh, new. Yeah, you know, the numbers on paper didn't look horrible. Uh, they were down, but you know, they were within their acceptable parameters. Yeah. I think is, yeah. was the deal, and, and you know, I don't know. I know what I see. I know what a lot of other guys see out there, and then the, you know, and again, I. Every time I open my mouth these days, and we're having one of these discussions, I, I, I sound negative Nelly about all this stuff, <laughs> and I'm not trying to. I'm just being realistic based on what I'm seeing and hundreds of others in this base system. 
and we're going to catch fish. I mean, this is going to pass. Everybody's going to catch some trout and reds and whatever else they're fishing for, and things are going to be okay. They're going to be okay. But I want things to be great again. I want our fishery to be like it was 15, 20 years ago, or hell, even 11 or 12 years ago. And because of all the things we've discussed, we've got to react to some of these adverse effects that we've had. You know, we can't sit here and leave things the way they are and expect it to get any better if you're not making an effort to make right. it any better. You know, it's can't just, keep doing the same thing, expect a different outcome. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, again, I, I, people, t- you know, I, I'll hear them say, we. We have fish in this bay. Well, no joke. We do. We have fish. You know, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying we don't have any fish. We have fish. It's it's more about moving forward. Let's make sure we have plenty of fish. Try to find a way to get the quality up because I think a lot of us are tired of looking at 15 and a half yeah. and 16-inch trout, you know. It's hard to get excited over, over that, you know. Uh, you go out and catch 20, 25 pencil trout. So great. You, you just fed three families. You know, that was a lot of fun, but we're not grocery shopping. We're going out there to have a good time and mm-hmm. hopefully have a chance at, at popping a legit trophy fish. Cause there was a time when we did, you know, uh, I went to Baffin in 2009 and, uh, in two days we, I personally caught two over eight and one over nine. When you jump out of the boat on certain areas of the coast, you have a legit opportunity, and you could throw Matagorda in there at times in the lower Laguna. You have a legit shot at popping a trophy. When you jump out of the boat here in Galveston Bay, you get excited if you catch a five-pounder. And I'm not, again, it sounds so <laughs> negative. It really does. But we can make changes. We can. We have to be able to. Yeah. The abilities there and the, the the willingness is there from the, at least the folks that I talk to, you know, and uh, we just have to find a way to get it done. Well, the, the move to five would, would I think would certainly give you opportunities to catch some bigger fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, it will have an effect on biomass. Maybe not the one quite as extreme as we might hope, but right. you'll certainly keep the fish in longer and you have some bigger ones you know and i'm not saying we we don't look at a slot limit i'm not saying that at all i'm just saying let's take one step at a time let's not try to bite it all off at right one time you right. know but um so do you keep um you mentioned uh, your, your clients do you do you keep busy year round with with the same pretty much the same guys you take on new guys much if at all a few a few a few uh I picked up some new customers this year, but I'd say, I don't know, 85% of my clients are, are repeats or regulars. So, which makes it How nice. did you get to that point? Well. What do you think? Well, because that's, yeah. I guess that's, you know, a lot of guides fail in, yeah. in, 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 this, in this career because they, cause you got to get to that point in my mind to be a successful guide. Yeah. So you always have a, a business. Just a hard work. You, you show that you care. You care about what you're doing, uh, that you're not just, you know, say you had a half-day trip, you know, say you're, uh, uh, you've got three guys and, you, and it's a half-day trip and you, you're in it, you're supposed to be in by noon. And I'm not out there, you know, at 1130 saying, okay, guys, y'all roll them in. We've got 30 minutes to get to the ramp. To me, 
if if we got a tide change or something, you know, and I don't run many half-day trips anymore. I'm just using this as an example. Mm-hmm. But say a, a tide change is coming up, and I know our bite. I know we're sitting on fish, and these fish are going to start feeding. And if we have to go 30 minutes or an hour over a half-day, so be it if it means helping my customers catch fish. That's called caring about your customers and what you do and putting in the time and the effort. Uh, and that's part of it. Uh, that's a lot of it, actually. And then, of course, I, I had a little bit of an advantage growing up here, growing up on Dickinson Bio. Uh, you know, I, I think I got my first boat when I was 12 or 13 years old. You know, a little um, Sears Game Fisher. I think it was 14 foot long. <laughs> and I filleted fish in my dad's retail market. He paid me $2 an hour, and I saved up my money. I got a 9.9 Johnson tiller handle. And I'd go out in Dickinson Bow and Dickinson Bay and Moses and, you know, stay, try to stay close. Dad told me not to go too far. And yeah. Every once in a while, I'd venture out a little bit further <laughs> if it was calm, you know. Uh, so, you know, I started fishing at a very early age. And, and then I was very fortunate to be able to go with uh, some really great fishermen, like my great-uncle B.B., my dad, uh, his dad, my papa, um, some of the guys around here that are still around that, that kind of pioneered some of the the lure fishing in Galveston Bay. So I was exposed to a lot of really great fishermen. And then, of course, working on the oyster boats all summer, harvesting and planting, you know, harvesting and transplanting oysters. I got to learn the the landscape, you know, of the bay a lot from doing that. And, uh, you know, so I had, I kind of had a leg up and, you know, it didn't take long to, uh, to start putting, putting folks on, you know, on fish and, and, uh, but I never did – it never really was about limits for me. I mean, I can't say it wasn't. Early on, I, I wanted to prove myself. I was one of those. I really was where, you know, you catch – you got to go catch your 30 and all that kind of junk, yeah. which I look back on. It's just silly. Uh, but, you know, we're supposed to grow out of things like that. And and, and I, I think eventually uh, we mature as, as anglers, you know, and realize that that's not what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but over time, I just think there was a comfort level that I established with my customers and they knew I worked hard and, and, uh, and hopefully put them on a fish or two. And, you know, and, and I think that's, I think working hard and showing that you care and treating your, your customers with respect, you know, and, and, and being a true teacher, yeah. not just a taxi driver, you know, putting take them out and anchor them up somewhere here you go guys have at it you know that's not guiding. i think that's what that's most people guiding. want i mean yeah. it really, and, and it's a shame so many guys miss out on that yeah yeah uh, and you know i think that's and, and i'm gonna tell you you have to you better be good at what you're doing these days because guides are they're on every street corner now you know yeah. and uh you know and that's something that i've never really understood either is is we have moratoriums on you know on oyster licenses now we have the buyback program with shrimpers and all that which i'm all in agreement with okay um but yet if anyone wants to become a fishing guide they can go take a three-week course become a fishing guide you know i mean it's you know you 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 know that sounds i guess that that sounds kind of uh, ugly for me to say that because everybody has the right to do it but there just it seems to be that there are just no limits. We're going to have to find somewhere to cut to, back, right? Going to have to find because it is a back. finite resource. Yeah, I mean, you. This bay is not getting any bigger. No, you know, no. You know, they keep expanding I ten and I forty five. We can keep doing that to our highways and our roads. You can't, you can't add on to this. You can always bay. make more concrete. 
yeah. can't make necessarily you make know. more bay. And the population continues to grow, and, and people love to fish, which is awesome, yeah. you know. Uh, but there's got to be a way to make it work, and, uh, you know, we just we'll have to all get together and, and, and figure out what changes need to be made and, and try not to do too much at once, I think. I think just take baby steps, and I think the first thing would be uh, giving a serious look to a limit reduction would help based on what I know that – or what I think I know it's done down Further, south, yeah. you know. And, uh, but, it's, you know, going back to the guiding thing, I just, I've been fortunate enough to just establish a good clientele over the years, and they stuck with me, you know. Uh, now, Was that a tough choice to go from part-time to, to full-time you and, know, and it, get it, out of the family it, business? Here's the deal, it, it, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, uh, it, it just kind of manifested itself, you know, we'd have guys flying in from, you know, say buyers coming in from Florida and I was in marketing. So what do you do in marketing? You entertain. We'd play golf, you know, I'd take them fishing and I love taking them fishing. I love to fish myself, obviously, mm -hmm. but I really enjoyed seeing them catch fish and have a good time. And, uh, that's actually what made me one of the, the reasons I got my captain's license. You know, initially I was just going to have it as a fallback plan and kind of make a little bit of money on the side. And then, like I said, when the, the, the industry, you know, I could see the writing on the wall uh, with the oyster industry, and, and it, it just kind of evolved. My part-time gig evolved into a full-time gig. wasn't necessarily my choice. You know, if, if you had asked me 20 years ago well, <laughs> if I was going to be a fishing guy, I'd, I'd have said, hell no, man, I'm going to go fishing for fun. I'm going to go hire James Plog or Mickey or somebody. Yeah, you know? yeah. But um, – but, you know, it is what it is. I think God has a plan for everybody, and I enjoy the heck out of it. Well, that's what I was going to ask is, is, you know, do you still uh, – of course, it's a job and it's work, but do you, you still find opportunities to appreciate the fact that you get to do what you do? Every day, day. Every day. I love it. Now, look, I don't love it when I'm out there fishing in chocolate milk like I am right now and, you know, fresh water and, and scraping a pan full of fish but i know that will pass yeah and i know my my customers understand that and i'm up front with everybody i mean i talked to my my customer for tomorrow i talked to him earlier and, and i told him i said scott you know it's not it's not great you know we're, we're three and a half weeks removed from a you know a million year flood or right. whatever the hell it's <laughs> called and uh you know so he said no nah, man we're good you know as long as we catch a few and we're gonna go Give it a shot, you know, and I have a lot of clients like that. Now, that being said, if that happened every single trip, yeah, I'd be struggling. I'd be in yeah. trouble. Yeah. Then I'd have to go find something else to do. But I know things will improve, you know. Like I said earlier, we're already seeing the water clarity and the salinity improve in the southern portions of the bay and even up going all the way up through the, the middle portions of the bay to a lesser extent, you know. When I say improve up there, I'm talking about going from zero parts per thousand to five or six parts per thousand, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and water visibility of less than an inch to four inches, you know. <laughs> We're not talking about Cancun here. We're still Galveston but, Bay. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But uh, but yeah. it'll get there. You know, it'll get there, and, and uh, we'll be fine. I just, like I said earlier, I want to I want to make see what we can – see what we can do to get this bay back to the way it was before and to keep it thriving you know not just not just put a not just put a band-aid on it you know keep well, finding ways to get new funding to to build new habitat uh look at our limits you know give it a serious look see what we need to do there things like that so 
it's it's you know it's a multi-pronged deal i think i think the the most the the two you mentioned habitat and, and changes in limits are i think the time is ripe mm-hmm. for something to happen with both of those so hopefully we'll see that within the next year is there anything else you want to bring up um for anybody that might be listening to this when we put it out um you know, if folks want to reach you, yeah, just look you up on the web. Yeah, or, or call me on my cell phone. It's uh, 409-256-7937. All right. Or shoot me a text. And so. we, you know, it's, uh, you donate some trips to CCA at mm-hmm. some of the banquets. And um, I try bidding on those, but I, I can't hang in there long enough. Really? I heard the last one went for like $100 or something. Uh, I no, I don't think so. <laughs> I went to the Bay Area banquet, and they're like, "Hey, if you can get this trip, bid on it." No, it went no, out of my ha- price I'm range pretty quick. I'm happy to do that. Uh, I've actually gotten some really good customers from some of those donated trips through the years. Well, good, I sure have good, good group of guys. Well, we appreciate your support. Oh, I appreciate and, it. Um, it uh, it's it's neat to go to different banquets across the coast, and and you can tell just by you know the price that the trips go on. Really, which guides are are popular or really good in that area yeah. and uh yours go really high around here okay, so well, that speaks that speaks volumes i've got to me. more people fooled than i thought I <laughs> <laughs> oh man well good deal. well man thanks for doing this um no problem uh, this is you've got uh, i think you present the the information from from a guide's perspective but also um um just you you pre- very articulate in how you present it and I, I saw something um, you posted up, and John Blaha shared it with me, and I just thought of it. I was like, this guy, he knows what he's talking about. You back it up with data, and, and um, like I said, you do a good job of presenting a, a, an, an issue that is very divisive, and, and um, you know, a lot of people don't like to to bring it to the forefront right. and, and have these kind of discussions, but thanks for doing that. Oh, that's... My pleasure, I you know, is like I said, I care about one thing, and that's sustainability. Even if it meant me having to find another another occupation, uh, and I truly mean that, I would hate for that to happen because I love what I do. But my ultimate goal is to improve this bay and, and get it back to the way it, close to where it was. Yeah. I don't know if they'll ever get back to the way it was. But, you know, I care about the resource more than I do anything else, more than I care about, uh, you know, what I catch or – what the next guy catches or, you know, so yeah. anyway, that's, uh, that's where we're at. And I, and I, and this comes from the heart. I truly, that's truly the way I feel about this bay. I want it to be great again. So. All right. We'll end with that one. All right. Thank you. So I wanted to jump back here again at the end and, and make a few statements prior to recording this podcast with Captain Hillman. I didn't realize that he had just sat in on the Sports Radio 610 Outdoor Show with his dad, Clifford, and along with Captain Mickey, Captain Benny, and Coastal Fisheries um, um, second-in-command, Mr. Lance Robinson. I'd encourage you to listen to that podcast as well because they covered some of the same ground that we covered in this episode, but it's in a slightly different format. It's just as informational, but there's some exchange with other recreational anglers. So that's a really good resource for you folks to listen to as well. 
Thanks again for tuning in to the CCA podcast. If you want to have a great guided trip on Galveston Bay, target some speckled trout, call Captain Steve Hillman. He gave his phone number. Here it is again, 409-256-7937, or just look him up at hillmansguideservice.com. Again, folks, thanks again for listening, and tune in again in about two weeks for our next episode. We're going to talk about guiding in the Middle Coast. We're going to talk about the Aransas National Wildlife Refuge, and we're going to talk a whole lot about Hurricane Harvey and its effects, uh, not only in Rockport, but on the guide business in general. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.